Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's Wednesday, April 13th. Inside the WTOP newsroom, this is a DMV download presented by Steamfitters Local 602. Learn how Steamfitters can benefit your business at steamfitters-602.org. Here are the stories we're working on today. Lawyers for Johnny Depp and his ex-wife, Amber Heard, made their opening statements during a defamation case in Fairfax, Virginia on Tuesday. WTOP's Michelle Murillo watched it all and tells us about some of the gruesome details. Kind of get that image in your head and go, wow. And we also look into the legal side of the story with Virginia entertainment lawyer Kirk Schroeder. I could see a toss-up going either way. Then we go to Maryland with John Doman to answer why construction on Route 210 is four years past its deadline. If you could mess something up from the very beginning and then just watch it ripple, that's what happened. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. And I'm Megan Cloherty. Actors Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are in Northern Virginia for a $50 million defamation case that started with a Washington Post op-ed. Depp says his ex-wife's piece damaged his career by falsely implying that he's an abuser. Heard says she was telling the truth and Depp did abuse her. We first turn to WTOP's Michelle Morello, who has been covering this for us. So, Michelle, we just saw the opening statements. Let's start with Johnny Depp's lawyers. What was their argument? Well, basically, what they said was that, you know, she's this angry, angry woman who, when he asked her for a divorce, she wanted to avoid being embarrassed. And so instead, she decided to make it his fault and created this claim of abuse, made up the abuse story. But then they went on to say that she's the real abuser. She would resort to physical violence, throwing things at him, hitting him. She would tell him he was a coward. And then you know, we kind of watched Johnny Depp look a little uncomfortable with this. They talked about his past and why for him particularly, that was so impactful that he grew up with a mother who was very abusive, very domineering. And, you know, as a child, he spent a lot of time just trying to hide and get away from that kind of feeling and that he was doing that in this relationship as well. And I think the one that probably made everybody cringe a little bit was even when she said that he would find himself hiding in a bathroom to get away when she would become abusive. And you kind of get that image in your head and go, wow. Yeah, there are a lot of details coming out, uh, many of them very personal, as you just mentioned. How did Amber Heard's lawyers respond to that? Because she is on the defense um, in this case. What picture did they paint of her? Their picture was a very, it was almost like we're in a different gallery in a whole different art world. It was a very, very different image where, you know, she was this girl from Texas that, you know, was went to Hollywood with a dream and 180 bucks in her hand. And then she got into the life. She did well, that great success story. Yeah. And then she got in a relationship with Johnny Depp. And they said that he rips off her nightgown. He has her jammed up against a bar. He has hurled bottles and bottles at her. He has dragged her across the floor on the broken bottles and the liquor. They painted this picture of a man out of a horror movie. I mean, really, it's almost Stephen King novel-esque the way they painted him in story after story after story of abuse 
saying that, you know, his problems are him, not her, mm. uh, that he had a list, an arm's length long of prescription drugs that his concierge doctors were giving him every day. But then he was subsidizing that with alcohol and illegal drugs and that he would have these horrible blackout sessions and rages and all of these things and detailing. And what I th- it felt like it went on forever, story after story of him hitting her, kicking her, pulling her hair, headbutting her, slapping wow. her to the ground. Mm. It just kept going. So the jury heard a lot, and they heard two very opposing pictures here, as you've been saying. And we also learned that both Depp and Heard plan to testify. So what does that mean, and did we know that before? We didn't know they would. I mean, that that opens them both up to a lot of not being able to select the picture that is being painted of them. But at the same time, I thought her attorneys did a really good job at preparing for that in their opening, because I think part of the reason they went into such graphic detail with the Johnny Depp stories and the, the abuse stories, I think they did that to make him look more like a bad person than that star you see on the movie posters. I think that... To me, it seemed to be going on so long for an opening statement if there wasn't a secondary purpose, because all those stories are going to come out in testimony. But I think they want to make sure that as people start taking the stand, they don't see him as this great superstar on a pedestal. They see him as a person who may have done some really horrible things. They also, Amber Heard's attorneys, seem to really want the jury to get to know her. And, you know, they, they told her story, her growing up about her daughter who just turn, is turning one, all these things to make her this real person versus, you know, the superstar that everybody's like, ooh, it's Johnny Depp. But now they've brought him down a couple pegs and they tried to build her up as somebody people could relate to. And this whole thing is happening on court TV. Did you see any notable moments during that first day of the trial? Because we can, you know, the camera's panning to both of them. I think what struck me is no matter what was being said, she's so stoic, statuesque, barely, you know, barely moves, has barely shifted in her seat, not much, a little here and there, but for the most part, she was very, very still. And we're we're talking three hours, you know, mm-hmm. of opening statements, and she barely moved. He looked a little more uncomfortable. And definitely when the stories were being told about him, he just repositioned himself a lot and you know, looked around a little more. But he just didn't seem as comfortable in the courtroom. You know, I always like I like to see how people react to what's going on, especially they're they're movie stars. They're trained to act. They're trained to portray whatever. And I thought it was interesting to see how they looked in the courtroom. Yeah, if we learned anything, we learned it's going to be a little bit of a messy trial. A lot of evidence put forward um, in the opening statements. Michelle Morello watching it all for us. Thank you. Thank you for breaking it down. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So we now turn to the legal side of things with entertainment and arts attorney Kirk Schroeder with Schroeder Brooks Law Firm. He is the former chair of the American Bar Association's Entertainment and Sports Law Section, and he's based in Virginia. Thanks for being here to provide us some clarity on these proceedings, Kirk. And we'll start with the why here. So both Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are famous actors. They live elsewhere. Her Washington Post op-ed is published online. So why is Depp's defamation suit being tried in Virginia? You know, he could have sued anywhere in the country because Twitter is all over the country. And okay. arguably, the Washington Post uh, is you know distributed in mm. uh, various places around the country. So just because the paper is in one state may not be enough. But fortunate that the production facility was in Virginia. A judge said, hey, that's good enough to come here. So if it could have been tried anywhere, 
then why Fairfax? I mean, beyond that, it's the location of the Washington Post servers. Mainly, there are two aspects uh, to this. Besides uh, Virginia being a state where you don't have to prove damages in order to get a monetary award, uh, there are laws now called SLAP laws. And those are SLAP, uh, S-L-A-P-P, is strategic lawsuits against um, public participation. Mainly, those are laws to protect people from being sued when they speak at public hearings and other scenarios. So about 30 states have what are called anti-SLAP laws. And that is to protect people basically uh, using free speech. Mm. So Virginia is considered to have one of the weakest anti-SLAP laws in the country. And so how does this all play into the Depp Heard case? You know, who's who would this maybe advantage or why did they select this place? Obviously, Johnny Depp thought um, Virginia's weak anti-slap law would be to his advantage in taking away a possible defense that she might have in other states. Uh, but she's countersuing him as well. And uh, so uh, he also raised the anti-slap law defense, and that's already been struck down. So it kind of boomeranged on him a little bit. So that's one aspect. But, uh, you know, he claims that uh, he's lost work. And so I'm sure he's going to use that. And um, the fact that you can award damages in Virginia just based on the mere fact of defamation without proving the actual loss of business could make a jury sympathetic to him. Uh, This back and forth between the couple, between Depp and Hurt, have been going on for years. These two have already settled their divorce. It seems odd to me that a defamation case would come separately um, from the divorce settlement. I'm wondering if you have thoughts on that. Why are we hearing all these details of their marriage in a defamation suit? In the divorce settlement, you have a non-disparagement clause, typically. Now, I've not heard that issue raised in here, but arguably she may have crossed the line contractually with the non-disparagement clause. Uh, But, you know, uh, look, um, calling someone a domestic abuser or by implication, which is allowed in Virginia, is pretty serious and obviously has affected his career. So uh, he just chose where he thought the best courthouse would be. Right. And so does it matter, you know, if her claims of abuse are true in this defamation case? In other words, is the truth value of her statements going to be litigated here and played out? It's a big time value. Uh, I try to tell clients when they want to sue for defamation that if you're going to sue, you better be willing to answer all the questions about whether you've done what you're arguing about. Mm. So uh, truth is an absolute defense. But when you're the plaintiff in a defamation case, the defendant gets to ask you whether her claims or his claims are true. Mm. And some people don't want to go down that road. Beyond the famous players here, I mean, obviously, it's grabbing everyone's attention because these people are so famous and they're celebrities. And we have celebrities who are expecting to be witnesses, right? But is this case consequential from a legal standpoint? Could it set precedent in Virginia or affect future entertainment cases? Well, I I think it's uh, consequential in two ways. One, it's going to be a fascinating decision about free speech versus defamation. Uh, because arguably her Washington Post editorial was free speech about an important public issue of domestic uh, uh, violence. Yet at the same time, she does appear to implicate him. But I also think as a public policy standpoint, it might make Virginia legislators think again about the laws in Virginia and whether they want to improve the anti-slap laws so that Virginia doesn't become a convenient forum for shopping for these types of cases. 
It's really interesting. Thank you for taking the time, Kirk, shorter to break this down for us. I mean, I think we've got another three weeks of this trial that's expected. So there's a lot of evidence to go through. Maybe we'll check back in with you when this whole thing's said and done. Yeah, it it will definitely have its twists and turns. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And coming up, we'll talk to WTOP's John Doman about an exclusive story on a construction project. This project took six years and was only supposed to take two. John had to file a FOIA to get these documents to prove it. If you want to save money and grow profits on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project, go with the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. You can trust the experience of its workforce, members who have expertise in heating, air conditioning, refrigeration, and process piping to deliver work that's on time and on budget. For a partner you can trust who's mutually focused on your bottom line and to schedule, contact Steamfitters Local 602 at steamfitters-602.org. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. No one likes road construction, but a project that was meant to take two years has now taken six, causing daily backups and frustrating drivers who tell us there seems to be no end in sight. I'm trying not to curse, but it's like it is frustrating, man. You can sit in that traffic for like two, three hours. Right? Route 210, also known as Indian Head Highway, cuts across Prince George's and Charles counties and is a major commuting thoroughfare for thousands of drivers. Now we know what went wrong with this project that's supposed to wrap up in August. WTOP's John Doman did a little digging here. He got the contract and put some tough questions to Maryland State Highway, who was running the project. John, let's get right to it. What was the reason for this four-year delay? I mean, basically, if you could mess something up from the very beginning and then just watch it ripple, that's what happened. Really? In in the very technical terms, you know, they, they took a survey of, of the site and all the planning that was based around that survey... Just when they were getting ready to start actually digging up dirt and, and doing some of the con, you know, very beginning of construction, they realized that all the work they put in in the months leading up to it was off. So they had to restart it again mm. after they had already kind of started digging stuff up a little bit. And then once that gets thrown out of a loop, it, it was just sort of a domino effect from there. That you have everything on a schedule and you know your, your plan is to get this done here at this time. Then mm-hmm. you'll get this done and then this done and then you can do the paving in the summertime. But when everything gets pushed back by a few months, suddenly stuff that you plan to do in the spring, summer, fall, now getting pushed back in the winter, some things you couldn't do during the winter, so you had to wait some more, and then it just kind of built on and on and on from there. Right. What were you hearing from drivers, and I guess knowing that the end is in sight here, when is this thing supposed to be done, and how do they feel about that? So I think from from the case of drivers, it was just a resignation that, you know, is it ever going to end? That was that was sort of the biggest thing from them, because- oh, well. Not much I can do. I just keep suffering. and But like hours, like three plus hours sitting in traffic. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a busy road. I mean, it connects from the Beltway, you know, right there at Alexandria or going into the city. And, it, and a, a lot of people take it all the way down into Charles County every single day. And, you know, it's 18 miles long. It's fairly straight. But if you have two lanes go down to one all of a sudden and there's an accident somewhere, I mean, it doesn't take long for things to just go kablooey over there when, when, when something goes wrong. Right. Because one guy I talked to who was, who was really funny and, and, you know, made his frustration really known, he had no idea what was going on with it, just that it had been going on a long time, that it made driving around there really miserable. And it's terrible in the morning. Uh, it's terrible late at night when they work on it. It's down to one lane sometimes. And the most terrible thing about it, it's taking forever. They started working on it years ago. And so do we know when it'll be finished? So the promise is 
<laughs> by the end of August. <laughs> but I will say, having driven it, I mean, the main the main crux of that project was this. They took this intersection where Kirby Hill and Livingston Road meet 210, and they built an overpass on top of it. Get rid of that red light. That was the whole plan for it. That's all done. People are now driving on that overpass. They're either going over when they're driving around the Fort Washington area, or they're exiting on a 210 or off a 210 through this overpass and this this interchange setup. That That's all working. There, there is still some barrels, some final work to do, but really the crux of the project, the main goal of this from the beginning to build this overpass that part is all done so mm. hopefully the orange barrels are gone by the end of the summer i would imagine that would be conceivable but we're not going to know until we know right and did drivers feel relieved when you were t- able to tell them uh when this thing might be over yeah there were, i think there were certainly some uh some sighs of relief like is it ever going to end that was that was sort of the biggest thing from them because in a lot of instances, yeah, you, you don't get kept up to date with what's happening for that project, really any of them. You just you see the orange barrels pop up, you hope it's done as soon as you can, and then you hope they get out of the way. After six years of waiting, you probably just kind of resolve yourself just to accept the, the, the traffic until it gets resolved. You hope it'll happen, and that that was their promise. They, they were very adamant by the end of August. They, they wouldn't give you an exact date. Because I pressed for that a couple times, but they said, by the end of August, it'll all be gone. Well, we'll stay on top of them. Hope it is the end of August. John, thanks for doing this. We appreciate it. Yep. And so, Megan, before we go, we got to talk about this turkey who was sauntering up Wisconsin Avenue, just strutting their stuff. (laughs) Wait, I heard you say this, and I I, I need need to know more, because I haven't seen pictures or anything. Where was this turkey? Well, as Twitter usually does, it captured, you know, this Turkey just walking up, and our Kate Ryan in the newsroom shouted out, turkeys live along the canal. So I guess it makes sense that this turkey was just hanging out in, in Georgetown, making its way up to Tenleytown, you know. Maybe going to get some Chick-fil-A or going to the Best Buy. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I mean, last week it was the foxes, ended tragically, and now it's the turkeys. But it's it's interesting that there's kind of all this fanfare around animals in the city. Yeah, especially, I mean, of course, my mind jumps back to the red pandas escape from the zoo a couple of years ago. But it is. It's like whenever you see wildlife in downtown, it, it stops you short. It's a shock. It's a shock. I once interviewed the now director of the National Zoo here in D.C., and she said that there's this, like, awe kind of hormone that triggers when we see, like, a, a, a wild animal in the city. And we just get all excited about it and stuff. And that's whenever I see Twitter blow up, I'm like, oh, all right. Like Dr. Brandy Smith, she explained this to me. I believe that. I'm seeing a wild animal in the city. Why not? Only a matter of time before that turkey has his own Twitter account, I'm sure. And a name to go with it. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a good place to end it. Thanks for joining us for the DMV Download. Sponsored by Local Steamfitters 602. This show is produced by me, Megan Cloherty. And me, Luke Garrett. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab. And our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get a chance. You can find out more about the show at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, and online at wtop.com and on the WTOP News app. Have a great night, everyone.